Not since paycheck have I seen this taken Christmas in honor of John Woo's return to action cinema with Silent Night this weekend. What director who released a film in 2003 is due for another film? I'm Katie Rich and I have, I think, the objectively correct answer, which is Peter Weir, director mm. of Master and Commander, who I believe made one film since then and is still around and like accepting honorary Oscars and just not making movies. And it sucks. And we need it back. He taught me to be Weir again. Yeah, wow. he did. Keep, keep Austin Weir. Keep Austin Weir. I'm Matt Patches. I'm going to go with um, Tom Shadiak, who had quite a run. Did Ace Ventura, Liar Liar in 2003. Did Bruce Almighty, which is a little iffier, I guess. But I don't know. I need a movie with jokes. Bring back the joke movies. <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven. And I'm going to go with Gore Verbinski. I do not want him to pick up the, I think, the last thing he was attached to, which was a Gambit movie for 20th Century Fox when it was an independent <laughs> studio, but I would like him to make another movie, please. That would be great. And I'm David Ehrlich, and, you know, I also want to go with Peter Weir, although I, I would have rejected uh, the premise of this question that I bothered to look up what it was before we started recording on, an effect, on account of the fact that Silent Night is just such a wretched piece of dog shit, and we uh, <laughs> should not be speaking about it in any sort of positive context on this show. Um, sorry to all the John Woo fetishists out there, but woof. Um, but in lieu of being able to pick Peter Weir, I'm going to pick Park Chan-wook. Uh, and you might be saying, David, didn't Park Chan-wook have a film? Plenty. Didn't he have a film last year called Decision to Leave that was excellent and deservedly on your year-end list as it was of uh, that of many critics? And I would say yes. But he has spent the time since then working in uh, television, uh, which I think is <laughs> just such a poor use of his particular talents, let alone his time. With Robert Downey Jr. He's not getting any younger. And while I'm excited for his television show, I vomit in my mouth thinking about the fact that he has spent so much time and energy working in TV when he could have been making uh, movie features at a rate of more than one every six years. So I uh, would have loved another Park Chan-wook movie this year or anytime the next three but probably not going to get one. Thanks, television. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 453. It is the week of Wednesday, November 29th. That is the day that in 1935, Erwin Schrodinger, who's a physicist, he published the uh, Schrodinger's Cat uh, Thought Experiment, which is a paradox that illustrates the problem of the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum <laughs> mechanics. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, didn't know Katie, that. please explain what... Uh... Schrodinger's cat is. Uh, I'm literally sitting here wondering if he was in Oppenheimer and I just missed him. Like Good he could God. have been one of those guys uh, over in Europe in the 30s. The time <laughs> adds up. I mean, he's sort uh, of no, in that cat Oppenheimer is like, is like good and not good at the same time. That's true. And uh, it's yeah. Yeah. Often, that, often like, in like bomb. parallel timelines. Um, yeah. So I think he's, he's at least represented cat. in that film. Is it about parallel timelines? No, it's just about like as long as the box is not open, the cat is both dead and not dead. I'm 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 extrapolating don't his know. work. I'm uh, I'm, I'm making poetry with it. I'm all I know, fusion. all I know of uh, my knowledge of quantum mechanics is entirely drawn from uh, the movie Oppenheimer, and that's all I got. <laughs> uh, movies, uh, yeah, movies teach us history, so we don't have to read books. So it appears that we have a actually review one review to sustain us. We do this evening. 
Well, we do. <laughs> I, I have it. I have it pulled up because it's hilarious. No, uh, is the new, I've been... Oh, I see. I mean, it's the. I guess we must not have read this one previously. Yeah. It's the. Yeah, uh, go for it. Yes, uh, Nukup Limanjuyh, uh, mm-hmm. who I'm guessing, based mm-hmm. on the tone of the review, is probably not going to be listening to this episode. Leaves us one oh, star no. and says, "Women talking." In quotes, it looks like butt. The two male hosts keep insisting. How intelligent, how intellectual, height of sophistication. <laughs> the woman host, she has a name, Nukup Olinjoy, uh, tried I, to get a word in true. edgewise. Indescribably bad. Um, uh, thoughts? Can you guys stand by it? What you, situation you st- was this? Was this when- <laughs> it says our women talking review from last December. No, this is when we were talking oh. about uh, Assy McGee. Uh, in which he did, in fact, look like in a butt. Looked like butt. Yep. <laughs> um, you guys st- is that was that you the television show, it? the Adult Swim show about the butt detective? <laughs> or was that something else? It was Assy McGee and Adam what? Sandler skit? I think I'm I'm thinking of. Not a question for me. Mm. There was an Adam. There was an Adult Show Swim about it was like a a detective drama, <laughs> you know, a parody of a detective drama starring a uh, sentient butt. Was a cop? Anyone? Not one of the more uh, cherished properties. Adult Swim butt detective. Let's see what we got. Assy McGee! I was right. Wow. You never wow. doubt yourself, David. That wasn't just the ambient talking. Yeah. His slogan, I mean, I, if only I, things would really if be Assy running McGee well is at 9.48 p.m. I was already on my ambient. exists and does not exist. Assy McGee's slogan for his business was, don't make me run your ass over. <laughs> and there was a season two. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's an what ultraviolent. Did we let Katie talk? He's an uh, ultraviolent and yeah. emotionally disturbed police detective who <laughs> happens to have no upper torso, head, or arms. I am trying to ask you guys if you still think women talking looks like butt. Although you probably have not watched it again, so maybe it's not a fair thing. To no, I, I, this review made me look up uh, some stills of women talking. Uh, yeah, desaturated and color graded to up the one silvers. Of, one of the uh, ugliest movies like I've ever seen in my entire life. Butt is a compliment. Uh, it inspires to look <laughs> like butt. Um, I, but I will say, just to give context to the Assy McGee aside, I did not, in my infinite intelligence, as this listener points out, did not connect the subject line women talking to the film women talking. I thought mm-hmm. they were referring to Katie talking or oh, being talked was, over. Yeah. I'm just one woman, though. Right. So You're I, uh, I think, you know, but you stand in this context for all women. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. I feel comfortable uh, with that. And so you only now do I understand what they meant. I do. If it was talking over Katie, that could have applied to any episode, but it really was the looks like butt that made me remember what we were talking about. Man. Was it one of you guys who said it looked like a flashback in a Zack Snyder movie or was that somebody <laughs> else? Because that really has stuck with me. I, I will <laughs> say, I, I, will be, I will be devastated when the truth comes out that this review was written by Jesse Buckley. That will, that will stay. <laughs> but uh, she is entitled to her opinions. That means she's listening to the show and she knows who you are. So well, it means she listened it. to one particularly inopportune episode of the show. And, and then, decided uh, she doesn't like you. Decided that she, she doesn't like me, even though we've had <laughs> such a lovely time in our interviews together. Um, anyway, uh, if you would like to leave us a review, uh, positive, negative, all points in between, go on iTunes. I Fighting in the War Room. We will read it live on the show, clearly, no matter. It's tenor. Uh, and if you don't do that, we'll talk about Marvel Snap or some shit, even though I'm just in that long long uh, monthly period of waiting from the first week of the season to the time the Infinity Gauntlet opens. Come on. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Do it.
speaking of people who hate television, no one I know, uh, and he is a friend of the pod, uh, more <laughs> vociferously hates television than Scott Pilgrim takes off co-creator Ben David Grabinski. Uh, who wow. has? You, is this you're putting him on blast? Oh, I mean, I think he'd be the first person to tell you this. Uh, I mean, there are certain television shows he loves. I mean, happily he has created two. He was also created the Are You Afraid of Dark? Remake, this is true. So. I mean, he's happily talking your off about Twin Peaks: The Return and uh, you know a couple other TV shows here and there. there. But I think uh, you know, I think he recognizes the flaws of television as a medium. I, that being said, he has made another television show. Um, and I think it is one that harnesses that well-earned hatred for not just television, but sort of all mediocrity, franchise-related mediocrity in particular, that we've been forced to uh, suffer through over the last 20 years and makes lemonade out of it. Uh, I'm talking about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, and uh, that was my spiel to, to kick things off. I won't even go into the basic premise of the show or the reason for its existence before handing off the baton to my infinite generosity. Who wants to take it? Katie, what where, is the show about? Where where are we on spoilers on our conversation about? Scott I think we have to go full blast. I think it is It is now. Uh, I mean, certainly, I don't know if we full blast, but I think that the the basic premise of the show is now sort of common knowledge. I think anyone who was really worried about it being spoiled has now seen the show. Um, the creators of the show are publicly yes. talking about the the big bait and switch in the first episode. I don't know if we necessarily there's anything else that happens in the show that we need to reveal. In this episode, especially because there are episodes that Katie herself has yet to see. So, but I think you know, with the big basic Absolutely. twist in episode one, we're in the clear. I yeah, do so think it's I worth yeah talking about Scott, the Scott and Ramona characters in this show, because again, if you haven't watched it, you should probably pause this and and go watch it. It's not that long, but this is not an adaptation of Brian Lee O'Malley's comic, at least not in the strict, straightforward sense that the movie version from Edgar Wright was this is much more of like I believe Edgar Wright produced this anime series as well, working with Ben David and, and Brian. Um and it feels like it's not a sequel, but it's just a reconsideration of the entire idea of the Scott Pilgrim story. And I know that going into this, having chat with Ben David a little bit was like Ramona was really important. Thinking about Ramona and thinking about the context of this whole adventure that people fell in love with multiple times over the years. Like, how do you do a show that's going to be giving people what they want from more Scott Pilgrim, but giving them absolutely none of what they want in terms of just regurgitation and, like, sequel pandering? Was now what I'll people wanted... Oh, okay, so here, here, you want me to do basic premise? Because yeah, I watched the entire first episode. With basically none of this context, I saw Scott Pilgrim vs. the World at Comic-Con. I'm, like, 90% sure I saw it with Did you David Grabinski. Like, I think we were... I know. Wait, oh. maybe I did. I saw it in that big theater in San Diego. Right. I think I was there with Ben David Grabinski, which is means I'm the reason the, that this the exists. Lifted at the end of the you movie, and yeah, metric and Metric was playing. there on stage. Oh, I remember that very vividly. Down, down, um, down, I don't think down, I have down, seen down. it since then. Like I don't, and, but and yet I remembered it well enough that as the entire first episode goes, I was like, oh, this is just a shot-for-shot shot remake of the movie Scott Pilgrim, and I don't understand why we're here. Uh, and then you get to the end of the first episode and you realize it's going off in a completely, in completely different direction. It sets you up for the first battle between Scott, Scott Pilgrim, Pilgrim took off and one of Ramona's evil exes and he loses. And the rest of the show spins out where Scott Pilgrim <laughs> is not in it, um, at least for the episodes that I've watched. I believe it goes on from that. And we said we wouldn't spoil it. Um, and so it becomes much more of Ramona's story, but it's not like some kind of like 
this time we're going to tell the girl's perspective. Like it's much weirder and more inventive and goes in a million different directions from that, uh, which I really appreciated about it. But it made me wonder what you were saying earlier. Like this isn't the thing that fans have been clamoring for in terms of more Scott Pilgrim. What were they clamoring for? Why does this feel like so bold, even for people who have been paying a ton of attention to this? I world? think it ultimately is what they're clamoring for to, to be in this world, to experience more of these characters, hear their voices, hear the styles of joke hear the or see the the visual excitement of the kind of video game uh vocabulary and have it apply to more mundane canadian situations <laughs> i think no one except these two very creative people could have landed on this exact formula um having brian kind of reinvent his own comic again i, I don't think people would know what they wanted out of more scott pilgrim but they wouldn't have guessed this and yet it's probably exactly what they want which is to see all the exes from a different angle see more of the story go deeper in the boyfriends go deeper with ramona and her background and like how did she get in these relationships there's so much story that you realize wasn't told in maybe the comic or the edgar wright adaptation like there's just more breathing room for these great characters and i think in that way it's it's exactly what it's the best case scenario of getting more scott pilgrim and probably the best case scenario is not having that much Scott Pilgrim in the show because he feels like a very 20 something creation. Um, and yeah. This is a and show a very 2000s a mature, creation, right? Yeah. Like it feels, uh, I mean, Michael Sarah, I think it's unfairly tagged with like being emblematic of 2007 more or less, but the Scott Pilgrim character is right there too. And like, it's not like that you can't make something about that character now, but like it doesn't ring the same way that it did 13 years ago. I was gonna say in the way that revisiting, you know, your twenties, I think for anyone can can be to use a word that is in common parlance these days, cringe. Um, but there's also, I think, a tendency with with uh, people who are obsessed with pop culture to uh, hold on to dear life for those things, um, you know, because change is is hard and difficult and. Um, there is a lot of comfort in the storm of life, you know, clinging to your favorite pieces of media and hoping that, you know, insisting that they don't age and that you may not age along with them. And the idea of another retelling of the Scott Pilgrim versus the world comic books would seem to subscribe to that notion to a T and reward that same kind of, I mean, toxic is too harsh a word, but that same sort of um fandom that is maybe using a property like this for the wrong reasons um and then the show pulls a complete 180 on them and becomes really about the the need to allow not just ourselves but the media that we love and, and consume and identify with to to mature to grow to evolve to realize its faults to embrace them as opportunities to be better um the idea of sort of self-improvement can continues katie through the episodes that you haven't seen and really is hammered home uh towards the end um when you sort of learn the identity of the overarching villain of the piece and and how they deal with them uh but you know it really felt to me like an antidote to two decades of brainless uh you know nostalgia fetishizing Reboots Not and since Matrix Resurrections have I been so I mean, happy to see <laughs> something I love. It's, it's funny because like I, I do have a soft spot for shit like that 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 isn't willing to that is willing to be you know that is so self reflexive and is willing to be heretical towards this beloved source material 
Um, I often sort of shake my head at the idea that the only way to make interesting stories with IP these days is to, um, you know, take that sort of self-reflexive meta approach and deconstruct them um, and wish that weren't necessarily the case. But I think Scott Pilgrim, there's so many layers of that happening with Scott Pilgrim. Uh, you know, as it was always, you know, even his original incarnation, so in dialogue with the culture and, and with the pop culture that formed it and, and how that sort of was entwined with the identity of the characters that I think it, it, this show, this property can't really exist in any other way. And uh, it, it, it just feels like such a kick in the ass to the way that we've been telling stories like this for so long um, and, and just you know, showing what you could do with them. Um, and also then encouraging the need for new stories, ironically. I mean, I think by the time it's over, uh, there is no clear cut next chapter in the world of Scott Pilgrim. And I think that's just as well. I mean, I know, I know. Having no got, sequels. No yeah. sequels. I mean, right. I know Ben David has an idea or two for, for potential things they could do, but I think that, that none of that is really in play. I mean, it's really just about, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it supports what the show is doing to really have this ethos of we're growing up and potentially moving on and sort of correcting certain things. And, uh, um, you know, anyone who has loved your Metal Gear Solid 2s uh your uh your twin peaks as we referenced earlier i mean i think yeah they, they'll find plenty to enjoy in this and how it sort of plays with its own its own perception i think also th i think the format is important uh, i read the comics when i heard the movie was in production and i watched the movie and i think you know they went a little light on what the full specter of the scott pilgrim character is at least is existed in the comics but that movie is great for like what edgar wright's able to do with multiple setups and for giving us the cast that reprises here but what i like the most about scott pilgrim takes off is not only does it surprise you and become a new story uh that sort of blows open the bounds of both those previous works but it embraces the fact that it is an anime uh just as much as the other two mediums embraced their individual mediums uh, which is really what I ended up uh, like enjoying about it. Like I mean, getting an Lee, actual anime studio involved was, a, yeah. was a, a good boon for for them. Science Aru. I mean, it and the uh, opening titles I sit through every single time because the Amanaguchi or no, it's not a uh, Nekritaki uh, theme song. It's so such a banger. Like they pulled out all the stops too. Like it's very authentic. Yeah, what way. level of collaboration between like Japanese anime studios and like Netflix or American studios have there been before? Like, how rare is this? It's rarer for you know Hollywood writers, I think, to be yeah. supplying stories for an anime studio. Obviously, Netflix is in the anime business and producing and acquiring tons of anime directly from Japanese studios. I think working American writers working in this way is a very different um you know we were talking about blue-eyed samurai last week that's you know hollywood writers again but working with french animation it's much rarer to see a japanese studio collaborate in this way but very cool i mean it's very yeah. authentic we're gonna see more of it i was reading up but i think it's only 2018 but as recent as 2018 um japan's uh animation uh budgets are coming more and more from overseas so we're gonna see more of these sort of things uh rather than internally uh so we're gonna see more of these things you know sort of uh see wide releases but i do <laughs> enjoy that the the story sort of shifted to include a lot more things uh like very specifically i had a lot of fun with the 
Lucas Lee episode, whatever. Mm. Uh, first, because mm. I have that entire Liam Lynch album, uh, fake songs, and I'm glad anytime, uh, you know, I'm I'm vindicated for buying that once. Uh, but also the idea of like his skateboarding fighting powers versus like the paparazzi ninjas uh, was just like a great anime fight sequence of like man versus mob. And I really like that uh, this version of Scott Pilgrim is able to do it sort of fully realized, not only paying homage to what uh, the entire series is sort of pulling from visually, uh, but managing to make that like a cool sequence. And I think there's a lot of those, uh, especially in the later episodes, where it's like it, it embraces the fact that this version of Scott Pilgrim can do certain things that the previous two versions couldn't. Or, I'm sorry, three versions if you count the side scrolling beat em up, which oh, I yeah. also enjoyed. <laughs> uh, but that's that's been know, like sort of that's been the cool thing about this property is around a certain story where um you know it makes scott pilgrim a hero but he isn't always necessarily acting like a hero and each version i think of the story deals with that in its own typical way uh this one manages to find a way that feels specifically like it needed to be done in animation so in terms of any adaptation whether you're deconstructing it or not uh, I always like to look at like the why why even do this uh, in this particular way to start off with and just Scott Pilgrim so we can get the animation sequences looking uh, like we want them to uh, was winning enough for me. I, I Are there like, specific uh, sequences that, that stand out to you? You mentioned the uh, paparazzi ninjas fight. That was really fun. Yeah, I like whatever. I like um, the... Uh, the video store uh, fight uh, with Mae Whitman and then uh, uh, sort of some stuff that happens in the final two episodes that I don't want to uh, spoil for Katie or anybody else. Um, uh, but yeah, because I think it's very it, shown in by the end of the, uh, yes. of the show. It, it has a, it has a, you know, a build, which I think is why the Lucas Lee episode stuck out for me uh, so much is because it's sort of, uh, really went for it in a way beyond uh you know scott pilgrim is about having video game fights uh when the conflict gets it's like a musical but with fighting uh when the you know drama gets really high they're gonna fight and uh, i think this series does a great job at sort of like escalating that uh until eventually we're in liminal spaces with robots uh in the same way the movie sort of tried to escalate and was successful in terms of like movie visuals but i keep thinking about like the dj fight with the band where it just ends up being like the music becomes a gorilla that fights some dragons uh the, the way that this story is able to sort of adapt to whatever medium it is and feel both like as a riff on that medium and absolutely of that medium uh has been I i'm gonna say uh like 50% luck and 50% having the correct creator for each medium as it uh, goes along the way. Did you guys spend time yeah. thinking about how the actors have <laughs> aged in the 13 years and how like weird it is that time has passed uh, in general? Because they okay, bring back Katie all... Katie was spiraling watching I... this uh, <laughs> show connecting her back no, like... I mean, a show about people in their early 20s okay. that I saw when I was in my mid-20s and now no longer am. But I was just, you know, You're thinking about not. like... A lot of these people, like Mark Webber, like doesn't really work that much anymore. Like Mary Elizabeth he's a dad Winstead, of like five now. Sure, uh, like Mary Elizabeth Winstead was Aww. like like hot up and coming starlet at that point. Like now she like works less. She married you and McGregor. That's weird. 
like uh, Karen Culkin has since like become like such an iconic TV character that his voice is incredibly recognizable as Roman Roy, even if that's not what he's playing. I, the I good just... news, the good news is that unlike Arrested <laughs> Development season four, when everyone was much bigger and you couldn't believe that they actually got them back in the same place, even though they they didn't with Arrested Development season four and they cut it to bits and it was absolutely horrible. Um, it seems like with limited amounts of time, they got everyone back in the booth for just the right amount. And like, yeah. They Chris didn't actually need to be in the same place. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is unquestionably like, Chris is... Evans' best work in a long time. Um, <laughs> and, you love the gray man! Uh, boy. Uh, but he, I mean, I, you know, that is a sad commentary on his career over the last few years, but I also don't mean it to diminish how good he is as Lucas Lee, like, to this day. Um, it is so fun. Yeah, in that he's episode really great. Um, like, Brandon Routh, when was the last time we saw him in anything? He's, he does television. You just don't watch his show. No, sure. Just television. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, all, like these people are He hasn't are been all, a like, lot of Chris Evans projects uh, recently. Yeah. That's true. Or like, but then, like, Mae Whitman has been, had, like, one of the steadiest careers in Hollywood where, like, she's still working all the time. She was working all the time in 2010. Like, she can come in and come out and make a, uh, and make a huge impact. Brie Larson won an Oscar since they last made this movie. It's crazy. Time passing is weird. Yeah, it is crazy that Brie Larson has really an Oscar. Good. Just full stop. Um, <laughs> and that Mary Elizabeth Winston is married to Ewan McGregor. Those no, are really it's my two cra- big ones. Brie Larson's Oscar even crazier, I think. Um, but uh, and she she is not like, doesn't seem super involved in the show. But uh, it is amazing. I mean, it's she gets a song. Yeah, she doesn't uh, say she. Her voice is dumbed apparently oh, really? by the okay, singer of Metric. Um, that was probably a good move. Yeah, it's it's awesome that they got the cast back. It does give you that sense of continuity. I did think about aging as I, you know, watching the show as I do in most every context these days. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact that they're all voicing animated characters and the, the, all these actors are disembodied sort of is a reprieve from having to think about how much older they've all gotten. Um, there is something about did the continuity of like... Your toxic masculinity and your obsession. What's that? Girl chasing in your 20s. Did you yeah. come to terms with just like being a, a, a toxic romantic who, who is the energy to is chase that... anyone rollers especially like a <laughs> roller skating girl going through your mind or whatever in your 30s um <laughs> or even your late 30s that's what we if they do scott pilgrim again let's get the same story but everyone's in their like late 30s maybe early 40s let's see how <laughs> that works uh, nope. there yeah. was i have a friend who watches a lot of anime and he and i had a conversation about First of all, how funny it is to think about all these actors going in and having to do the, like, uh, anime, like, uh, reaction sounds or kissing yeah. sounds or moaning sounds. Uh, but also that, like, some of them work better than others, like Brandon Ruth and uh, uh, Chris Evans are incredibly good. Uh, but Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza just didn't click for me or him. Mm. So I can kind of see why she hasn't popped up in more, like, animated things in general just sort of like seeing that voice but he was like i watched it with uh subtitles and the japanese actors and uh, he actually enjoyed it more uh, from that perspective so i think even without the gimmick which is a lovely gimmick that i appreciate greatly as somebody who doesn't uh watch a lot of anime uh apparently it really holds up uh just you know as as a piece as an anime piece uh well, I'm going to wrap this up and say Scott Pilgrim Takes Off is all on Netflix, and this is only the first of two Michael Sarah things we're going to talk about on the podcast. So stay tuned. Oh, right. It took me a minute. 
<laughs> Michael Sarah, star of Trolls Band Together. Yeah. For our mini segment tonight, we're going to speed through a conversation. Let's just say it. I saw I watched Trolls Band Together, Trolls Three this weekend. I'm assuming none of you have. Let me just clear the air here. I didn't. No, nope. I, I watched Trolls no. Three. I told you I did. You did watch. Oh, I'm sorry. You watched Trolls Three. What did you What did you think of Trolls? Have you seen the previous Trolls films? Do your kids box for that? Seen, like, I have <laughs> seen the first Trolls. I'm not 100 percent sure I've seen the second Trolls. What happens in the second Trolls? No, they have like Hoof, whole co- sparkles. Like world There's tour? different types of. There's like heavy metal world Trolls. Tour. Yes, there's a heavy metal troll. There's lots of different types of trolls. There's a lot of different races. I have in been this in the world. presence there's of big trolls ogre world things. Tour. I don't think I've watched the whole thing. <laughs> let's let's not talk too much about Trolls Three, trolls which lore. is completely confectionary. Better than Wish. I gotta give it credit. Uh, like oh, I, I was knew, more I entertained than the, the, the wall-to-wall songs. I got the the villains of this movie are. Um, their their names are Velvet and Veneer, voiced mm. by Amy Schumer and um, Andrew Rannells. What's his name? Oh. Andrew Rannells. Yeah, they are uh, kind of like classic nineteen thirties esque spaghetti animated like wackadoo animated characters. For some reason, they are in the Trolls universe too. Except glitz and glamour, they are rocking out to Sweet Dreams at the beginning of this movie. That song is pretty. Like the music production of this movie is, is high quality, much higher than Wish. Like, the, and they're evil villains as opposed to like dimensional villains. villains. Yeah, yeah, Wish so dumb. Um, Trolls dumb, but like in a different way. There's a whole thing about Branch, the Justin Timberlake character needing to get his boy band back together. Who fuck cares? It's good music and it's lots of wild animation. Like on a ninety million dollar budget, they play all sorts of like two D, three D gags. It's just more confection. Here's what's standing out to me. During the press tour for Trolls 3, Justin Timberlake, who is, you know, he stars in it. He produced the movie. He's the uh, soundtrack producer. Like, he's pretty invested in the Trolls movies in a way that you may not even expect Timberlake, who's a dad, to, to be. But he said during an Apple Music interview, this stood out to me. I hope we make, like, seven Trolls movies because it's literally <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. You get to go to work and create something that's outside of how you see yourself as an artist. Let's pause for a second. Justin Timberlake. <laughs> I Maybe it's because our pals at, uh, uh, at, at Blank Check were talking about Social Network recently. A lot of people were talking about Social Network recently. When with, are we not uh, talking about Social Fincher, Network? Thinking about Justin Timberlake in that movie. It's a bit, it's still strange to me that he's that that guy, but he's like perfectly cast as a dirtbag, um, playboy dirtbag. And I don't get him. I want to know, and mm. we were talking before the podcast, Katie, that he's come up in the Britney Spears memoir and maybe not a great way but like what is timberlake he has reunited and sync for trolls 3 which feels like the ultimate act of desperation but when we talk about ourselves getting older and our our pop era you know fading away timberlake is he famous is he cool does he have a career what has he become is it has he become what all things become which is corporate bullshit and we have no hope or is he like doing it right? What is, I think he is famous and extremely uncool, like, like the bottom of cool, uncool, which is crazy because he was very legitimately cool for a lot of the two thousands and for a lot of our like prime youth. He had a comeback where he did like a black and white video with Fincher. Uh, Not that long ago. 
uh the like the Jay-Z, like that that thing. I don't remember the David Fincher directing a video. This although... might have been just the twenty tens, and I'm thinking Yeah, I mean like uh not that long ago, ten uh, suit, years ago. Yeah, suit and tie, like his song that he did with Jay Z. That was that's the Jay Z one, right? Oh, um, the yeah. trolls like maybe the trolls is trolls, the off ramp, and I don't realize it. Trolls, so the trolls is the off ramp. Uh, there's the Super Bowl performance he did in 2018 that was like kind of lame, and he released like a folksy album called Man of the Woods, and it was sure kind of like the moment that came out, everyone was like, "Oh no!" I mean, he's also like a white guy who like made his bones off of like R and B influenced music, which is the oldest trick in the music industry, but like, I think has become a little bit more transparent in recent years and like, didn't play off any of that, especially well. He just like became old and uncool at a faster speed than we usually see from people that famous. I think the moment for him that maybe he needed to do more to capitalize on, but certainly the moment when everyone who thinks so little of him now was temporarily on his side was when the Jonathan Demi documentary came out. Uh, yeah, that was and, a great, a great movie. Yeah, and like that was cool, and everyone was celebrating the that came out in twenty sixteen, the and, same year as Trolls. Yeah, and that that sort of feels like two roads diverge. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I don't know what role Trolls is. I mean, other stuff happened in twenty sixteen that made us think differently about like white men from the middle of the country. That like, yeah, mm. that's not necessarily fair to mm. Justin Timberlake. I think a but lot the of this is, moment definitely yeah. changed. I think I think a lot of the seeds for. Timberlake's current lack of coolness were planted during the the Britney Spears Janet Jackson days, and they've come home to roost. Now I'm mixing metaphors, yeah. but the uh, I don't think there you know there's nothing about Trolls, which was a huge hit and gave him a massive song uh, that I Got think led his decline. Yeah, um, and no one really even knows that about Trolls Two and Trolls Three aside from parents. So you know, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just that he he represents fairly or not, and you know, with every new bit of information we get, it feels like more fairly uh, as what Katie was saying earlier, sort of the embodiment of a kind of um, going to take everything without apology, white male privilege. And uh, when you think of how millennials aren't cool anymore, he feels like the absolute mm-hmm. poster child. I, um, but the thing, my like my hot take is that like I still am mostly fine with Justin Timberlake, like. I don't think he is cool, but like I'm, I'm not repulsed by him. He comes off terribly in Britney Spears's memoir. Like I'm not going to excuse that. <laughs> just um, so perfectly like, cast in the Social Network. I mean, everything we're saying well, the, is just and reinforcing. Like, and that. the Social Network, I think, got at that uncoolness really early because, like, part of Sean Parker is that he's so good yeah. at luring people in, but then he sucks. But he's also a giant fucking and, loser. And you and you see through him by the end of yeah. that movie. So it's like that also planted the seeds that you're talking about coming home to roost in your mixed metaphors. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a rich tax that Justin Timberlake. I can't think of anything that I would attribute specifically to Justin Timberlake in his career. And I think that's the problem with him is he never made the transition from product into actual artists that could maybe save some artists and later in their musical career. Or Mm. if he were to like directly get into acting or, you know, is a certain type of producer. I can't think of a moment where I was like, that was Justin Timberlake. I mean, um, the sexy back era was was definitely. I mean, like Mirrors is an incredible song. Uh, yes, you know, yeah, all over Las ago, Vegas. When how I, long when ago I was, was that? Sexy back. That's like two thousand five. That's yeah, a long it's been time ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, the twenty twenty experience. That tour. Like yeah, the, he was on that tour for years. Yeah, yeah. The suit and tie videos from the twenty twenty experience. I really like that album a lot. Like he performed at the White House for Obama. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. Like 
like in second Obama era, Obama term was like peak Justin Timberlake. I'm going to put that out there like 2014. And then after that, it starts to go downhill. Yeah, I, I think like the most times I was talking about his songs or that I saw his songs uh, breach is if he had like a month or two of some sort of chart topping banger or if someone was like, well, this song's about his relationship with Cameron Diaz. Well, this song's about his relationship with like Britney. But if you look back into like, you know, music production, it's like Timbaland basically built the solo artist yeah. and then pushed him off for other producers to sort of make the songs. Uh, like, I think the reason Man of the Woods or whatever, fa uh, like, failed is I think he tried to do more songwriting, and I just don't think he's that type of artist. He's a performer at best, uh, but not one of those personalities that you could just anchor around. So, like, as soon as he, you know, as soon as he and Jessica Biel fucked off from Colorado, I stopped kind of paying attention to him. To, uh, to wrap up this interrogation of Timberlake, we, we didn't mention that in Trolls 3, they're snorting troll dust and ogres are talking about fucking each other on their wedding night. But that's really not the point here. I want to ask you and wrap up with, is there a comp for Timberlake? Like, do you think he's on a trajectory? Is he going to become the Diane Warren of um, troll songs that get nominated <laughs> for, for Oscars? Or... Like, who, who is he growing into, if, if anyone? Uh, I feel like we have pop stars who we can, like Lady Gaga, for instance, very clear path to what type of old star musician she's kind of growing into. But do you think there's like a, well, an I old think school comp that Timberlake is He's resisting into? the voice trajectory. Like, he is trying mm. not to become a staple of network television. Because there really is no returning from that. You can't be seriously considered as an artist, I think. Jamie yes. Foxx has hosted a Shazam-based Fox yeah, but he's, game show, he's got but Timberlake won't Jay, go to TV. Jamie but Fox he also already has, Jamie Foxx has an Oscar, uh, yeah. and also, <laughs> and he's all, uh, I mean, Jamie Foxx has also, exactly, and has, like, displayed an elasticity in his career and his talents that was sort of at the bedrock of his career, um, and there from the beginning, it didn't feel like a backslide into certain things, um, you know, so although his acting career could use another bump as good as he was in The Burial, that movie was fittingly buried. The Burial's good! Uh, but the burial? The, oh, do we, do we talk about The Burial on this show? Oh yeah, kind of rules. And we had a good time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think no. Timberlake is in this sort of rarefied air that he's trying to, you know, preserve through scarcity um, and trying to, like, just through the illusion that he's above it. And that he's not just like... Except for Trolls, you know, until he makes yeah, Trolls. Yeah, I mean, Trolls, he dips in and dips out. No one really cares. It doesn't infringe on his audience. Sure. yeah. But, no, you know, and, I and think... The same as Reese Witherspoon being in the Sing movies. Like, no one's holding that against her. Yeah, I think uh, his next big career move will be telling. There's been so much bad press around him over recent years. Um, you know, does he come back with, like, a, a really soulful album where he has the soul writing credits on several of the songs? This is just sort of like, this is who I am. Um, does he... He can't do the Super Bowl comeback. That's sort of been tarnished for him. I mean, I think he's a he's, kind he's of a capable boy. actor. I mean, if you were to to find like a an what act. was the movie he did for Netflix with Benicio del Toro? Oh, Reptile. Like, I mean, weeks ago. I didn't, Reptile. I didn't see that. Oh my god, he was in a but, movie that came out this yeah. year. This, it's a Netflix well, movie. Within count. two months. Wow. He sure I mean, was. I think like, he's back. 
Best case scenario, David Fincher makes another movie where he's got a perfect Justin Timberlake role and he can sort of leverage that into <laughs> yeah. more Great. success. Yeah, that, seems, that, that works for most people when they try yeah. that. No, he should, he should uh, take up a residency inside the Vegas sphere and do a multimedia I mean, Justin Timberlake retrospective. He could, I mean, Dave, that is an absolute, if I were, you know, if I were holding the purse strings for Justin Timberlake <laughs> right now, I would be... You know, throwing money at James Dolan to get him in the sphere. To get him in the sphere, he's a perfect artist for that. Um, or some sort of Las Vegas residency, even, even though the sphere, the sphere feels like a particularly good choice. But yeah, I mean, I well, think because the sphere, he can still do filmmaking stuff uh, the, in theory. Yeah, I mean, the question for me is like, does him. he is he going to create <laughs> his way out of this, or is he going to uh, use charisma? To sort of keep going, like, is he going to mm. make something? He's going to have to roll or his is he D20 going to, and yeah, is he going to be a a tool in somebody else's belt to uh, you know appear in something? And, and neither one is better than the other, uh, but I think it is sort of a major choice it is to make in terms of thinking about his future. Uh, I'm going to throw luck, out something JT. that I don't think is kind to Justin Timberlake. I don't think it's going to happen. But I watched the last waltz a couple weeks ago, and Van Morrison shows up near the end of that, and like does high kicks and like levitates off the stage and is incredible and captivating. And you watch that and you're like, Oh God. And now here we are. And you've watched the possibility <laughs> to follow that trajectory. So I'm just saying like the highs can be high and the lows can be lows. You gotta be careful out there. <laughs> you think Timberlake's going Trump this year. That's what you're saying. Is Van Morrison pro Trump or is he just anti-vax? All right. And uh, <laughs> next segment. <laughs> I think Van Morrison's American. So he's, he's not fine. American. <laughs> So, like, yeah, he uh, he could stay out of it. This week, we all watched Saltburn. It is out in theaters right now. If you would like to do uh, Saltburn yourself, it is the follow-up uh, to Promising Young Woman from director-writer Emerald Fennell, who also did uh, what did kill- season two of Killing Eve and uh, various She's other... She's on The Crown. She's an actor. She's on The Crown. She's an actor, director, uh, writer... Here she is um, once again, I guess, investigating. I don't want to talk about what the movie's about in terms of themes. Let's talk about what it's actually about. Mm. It takes place in 2006 where a student uh, named Oliver Quick, who is attending Oxford University, um, uh, starts a friendship slash crush with another male student named Felix, except Felix is super wealthy. And uh, Oliver, through uh, manipulative friendship, manages to uh, grab a invitation to spend the summer at uh, Saltburn, uh, Felix's family's castle estate, uh, with uh, members of Felix's uh, family, including uh, a man named Farley, who is, I believe, their cousin, uh, but is uh, managed to come into favor uh, with the family. We have uh, Rosamund Pike as Felix's mother, Richard E. Grant as Felix's uh, father, and then he also has a uh, sister, Venetia. Venetia's the character name. And um, we spent some time in this, uh, I guess, comedy about the social mores of uh, the wealthy English before something much more sinister uh, takes place, beginning with the drinking of some bath water. Uh, how, uh, how much do we want to talk about all some of the things that happen in Salford? Some bath water. 
Um, Some we, bath can, water. we can do the like. Have Who a among us would not drink Jacob Elordi's bath water? I'm just saying. An understandable impulse that I don't necessarily associate with sociopathy. Uh, I have a lot not, to say about to, Jacob Elordi's hotness, but, but I know, don't think I, think I would drink people that bath would do water. That. Right. I just don't think I'd do it. You know, teach the right. I mean, I might drink some of the bath water, but when he links licks the inside of the drain, I'm like, okay, that's a mm-hmm. step too Everyone far. Everyone knows me. that's where all the really good germs are. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> from lots of people and things that cling to stuff. Anyway, uh, but this movie, I've I've been seeing some reactions to it uh, from uh, the younger generation who here <laughs> are fighting in the war room. We continually wonder what they do or do not like. It seems like it's a little too sexy for them. I did what? not. Is it? Uh, Where are you seeing these reactions? Uh, on the on the TikTok. Oh, oh, oh okay. Please okay. tell. Me, I, I have been very interested to know what uh, the youths <laughs> will make of Saltburn. On your TikTok algorithm, of course. Yeah, I think I, I've seen um, uh, some confusion, and that is sort of uh, sort of breached into like minor revulsion, uh, which. I can understand. I didn't have any problems with the way this movie uh, portrayed uh, the character of Oliver Quick and his uh, sort of perversions. What I did have a problem with is uh, this movie at the end sort of attempts to have a scene where everything is wrapped up for you. Any lingering mysteries you might have had uh, get wrapped up. And uh, by the time this movie was over, I was like, that looked great. I am a big fan of how this movie was uh, shot and cut together, um, but I do think it's sort of uh, ambiguous. Uh, the the main character of Oliver Quick that Barry Keoghan's playing is a, sort of a, a vacuous center for me, and I was unable to fill in the gaps with my own uh, assumptions to a way that made me feel like uh, this movie made a lot of sense. It was a it was a a pretty curio to me in a way that something like uh, Promising Young Woman uh, was just so sharp in what it was trying to get across. There wasn't room for any of the ambiguity that is left open here, and I think made it ultimately feel a little bit incomplete. It's uh, so interesting to hear that uh, you, you think young folk on TikTok, whatever uh, faction or sliver of that audience is is appearing to you, um, think that this movie <laughs> is is over the line in terms of its sexuality or something. Uh, when I left the movie feeling like it was not steamy over enough. the line enough. It wasn't yeah, enough. I was just mm. like, this movie is not hot enough and there should be more like sex and sexuality and steaminess and, and mood. Um, there's no I mean, there's steaminess. It's, it's all just very, very like, are you shocked by what these people yeah, are doing I mean, and not like, Oh, here, yeah. come enjoy yeah, this. Like, let's be clear. I just want to say there's a scene in this movie where Oliver, uh, sticks his fingers and some lady parts and gets some blood on them and then smears it around and then they start kissing each other like they're zombies who have never <laughs> kissed before like they're just eating each other's faces I don't know what that was um, that is definitely that has shock value I, I do that think that one of, the things me that, out. one of the things that people are reacting to when they roll their eyes at Emerald Fennell uh, for now the second movie in a row is that feeling of just cheap provocation that's sort of like a little like, you know, are oh, you offended? Yeah, but like very PG-13 straining to be R, sort of like, <laughs> you know, designed for a TikTok audience is like my first period blood makeout scene. And, mm. uh, the, you know, do you the, think it, Emerald Fennell is the Ricky Gervais of, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not going to pay with that broader brush. I, I don't think that she's offended me, uh, my sensibilities <laughs> that much. Um, but, uh, you know, she's on her way. 
I th- yeah, I think that like there there is a lot of um, very self satisfied and smug, uh, you know, sticking a finger in your eye, uh, sort of. What do you? Well, I've seen this, this a lot. I, I'm curious if you've thought deeply about this. Like, what makes it smug to you? What What do you think makes it cheap provocation versus I don't know Vontrurian provocation? I'm trying to think of maybe some other filmmakers who have done this in a way. It does have shock value, but but means something to you. Why why does it feel self satisfied and smug? In I mean, the way that I described it in my review is I, I was writing about her that she's either an underachieving dramatist or an overachieving provo- uh, provocateur, and I think that the fact that she's <laughs> neither one or the other is a really big problem for her because uh, she sort of gets lost in the middle ground between provocation and probing drama, and now for the second time in a row. And because of that, it just cheapens both sides. I mean, it makes the, the provocation feel really hollow um, and coy. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to, you know, be all like, you know, beating my chest about it. Like, look at me, I'm a 39-year-old man. I've seen some shit in my day. Uh, but like, it is very tame. I mean, I don't know. I think if I were in high school, maybe I would feel differently. And that's great for a high school audience. I mean, they teach their own. Um, but it, it does feel like it is, uh, it would be to her benefit to be more radical but i feel like she also is invested in the vague impenetrable seriousness behind these movies and i think Solprim benefits from not having the importance like sort of like societal importance the weight of sexual assault that uh you know promising young woman wore so although poorly. i would argue there's some sexual there is, assault no, but it's, it's pretty clearly, casual sexual it's assault not a, it's, it's not it's not it's not the subject of the film in the same way that promising young woman was uh, it wasn't promising a woman. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that makes this movie a little bit lighter. We can have a few more fun needle drops, even if the time doesn't always necessarily sync up. And this is, I mean, Emma oh Fennell, I think, um, is our age. Oh, hold you're, you're, that thought. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but, like, yeah, if you want to get in a car and go somewhere while you play Arcade Fires, no car go, no cars go, great. When it's time to pretend to play MGMT's time to pretend, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, Emerald Fennell was 38. Katie up. Uh, this is it. I thought we were she, saving this for the spoiler gong. You right, tell no me when else. you're ready. This is no, the spoil. This but, is spoiler you know, territory. I don't know. I'm with Dave in that, like, you know, it's a, it's a fun turn your brain off to sort of like, look at all this dopey stuff that's taking me back to my own time in college. Um, but... Is this what you did in college? You it's played exactly tennis and tuxedos uh, and drank champagne? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could have been... In a castle? Been, <laughs> I wish I could have been the Jacob Elordi character. Unfortunately, I was just aspiring to be the uh, Barry Keegan. Um, and, uh... <laughs> no, there, there was... There was uh, I, yeah, but... I don't, I don't think it's inspiring for you to have as good a time as you would want it to be for this. Like, mm. I, think that, I think that level of seriousness that you're talking about is what kind of stands in the way. Because, like, it is... The talented Mr. Ripley and Brideshead revisit, as everyone says. I don't think the talented Mr. Ripley was like unserious. I think there's a lot to it, which is what makes it so great. But it's also not trying to be like, and this is why class warfare is a thing. And you kind of feel Saltburn kind of constantly trying to be like, well, isn't it just hard? Yeah. And I don't like, I I think it kind of really falls apart toward the end where it kind of stops being about anything. So maybe it's unfair for me to pin that on it. Most of the time I was watching it, I was like, is this about anything is this going to become about something (laughs) beyond the obvious or like i wasn't having a lot of fun watching it i've talked to some people who think it's just a really uh, a hoot a good time because they're doing all this wacky stuff in this beautiful castle location and i'm like i'm not finding this very this is not a romp 
to me. No. I'm not sure what this movie is instead of, it's just kind of a flat line. Again, beautiful, as you said, Dave, this movie was shot by uh, Linus Sandgren, who did the Bond movie the other year. He just did Babylon, like one of the great Babylon. DPs right now. And it looks amazing. I, I've also seen, again, I people are just hot in every direction on Saltburn. People kind of slapping Emerald Fennell on the wrist for for composing for the one perfect shot tumbler crowd i don't get that either just like having what? compositions in, i don't in know that's, that's having a, good composition that's and good a lighting like, laying yeah. around lily pads near a, a beautiful lake i don't falter for putting pretty pictures on the on the screen and what getting some money to, to do it who upright. are it surface level it has a rosman pike character is literally like i'm physically allergic to ugliness like it makes sense now for i could the world use a thing. lot more of what rosamond pike was and more carrie mulligan that's a romp and uh, that's a fun time carrie mulligan is yeah. in this movie about six minutes a wacky and she aunt just, who won't leave she just destroys <laughs> give me this i would say uh this is carrie mulligan's best performance of the year um, wow. I, I was so much more entertained uh, by David says Maestro. Yeah, no. no, I mean Maestro had nothing to offer me. We'll I think that there. she we'll get does. Oh, we're getting Maestro. She we'll does. She does the role in Maestro as well as any living actor could. But uh, I think she. We'll, we'll it's hard there. to imagine anyone else bringing to. Sulfur, we're not talking about show. Does. Okay, thank you. Um, again, you're just we're ta talking crazy redheaded ants who are living in your castle. I'm trying to lift up women, um, but she's <laughs> she's uh, brilliant in this, and I think women that there talk. are scenes between her and Rosamund Pike that are very funny. Rosamund Pike's allergy to ugliness, which I think unfortunately does <laughs> tee up a uh, sharper comment on class warfare, uh, is nevertheless really funny in and of itself. Um, I just could not think about, I couldn't stop thinking while I was watching the movie about like how many times a day she would be like choking back her bile if I was a house guest of her friend, of her son, um, <laughs> but, uh, showing up in my like undersized Joy Division sweatshirt and my like three day old five o'clock shadow. Uh, but, um, yeah. And then I'm sure there'd be, I can only imagine her comments on having a Jew in the house. Uh, oh, <laughs> I love boy. that. I love that I house. Uh, I think that, uh, it's, it's cool. Yeah, uh, this sort of like artificial scarcity that they have with regards to this location, which has never been shot on film before, and they're so cagey about it protecting its privacy that they yeah just you can't not, say where yeah, it is. You which can't is say where really it is. Funny, um, which is cool. I mean, I get it. I mean, even if Saltburn bombs the box office, which it basically has, it's still uh, the, the world is wide enough that there are enough of a TikTok crowd out there who will flock to it and turn it into a tourist trap. So I get that. I think. People will. I think people should go see it just for the like, man. What is going on? Even if you hate it, like I think it is worth seeing. It's fun to yell about, as I've learned in the past m month and a half since <laughs> I've seen it. Um, so I want people to seek it out, even if I don't think it is as good as a lot of other stuff that's out there. If that makes any sense? Yeah, she's not. Emerald Fennell is definitely not untalented. I just, I think at this point, I would love to see her work with somebody else's script. Yeah, like adapt yeah. something. Uh, are you guys ready for me to she go on my rant? Cast, yeah. You ready? Yeah. Yes, do I need, please. do I need to gog anything? I mean, I, are you just going to sure. do it? I'm just going to, I'm mostly talking about needle drops. Well, maybe we can mention the very end of the movie. Too, sure. Well, section. I don't remember any needle drops at the end. Okay. So the very beginning of this movie, you see Barry Keoghan arrive at Oxford. There's a banner that says class of 2006. If you're an American, right. you're like, oh, this is taking place in 2002 because when you are Moving into college as a freshman, it is welcoming you from the year that you will graduate in the future. Doesn't work like that in Britain. It means it is in 2006 because they graduated different times in Britain. 
I had to learn this after the movie. This caused me great confusion. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there watching Saltburn <laughs> thinking like, okay, this movie set in 2002. Like I've heard it set in 2006. So I guess it'll jump far in the future. It doesn't jump far in the future. And then in, a, in an autumnal set pub scene, uh, Arcade Fire's No Card Go is uh, playing in the background. That is from the album Neon Bible, which was released on August 6, 2007. So if we're in the fall of 2006, that song doesn't exist yet. Fine. Move on to... Maybe they got it early in the UK. <sighs> All right. Hold that thought, because people have been justifying what comes next. They get to Saltburn. There's a montage <laughs> set to MGMT's Time to Pretend. That song, song played at your wedding. Uh, this song no, kids, is a little important. No, Kids is the MGMT oh, right. song that's okay. important to us. Because that was the one you. they had when they were at Wesleyan. Okay, yes. Uh, what? No <laughs> I'm not done was, yet. No Cars Go was uh, originally recorded on an EP that Arcade Fire released. I'm aware of that. Okay. But ask me this. Do you think it was being played at a pub in Oxford in the fall of 2006? I mean, Oxford, the no, same town not. that gave the world Radiohead. They're very up. They're very <laughs> oh up God. on okay. the, the latest that's happening in music. I don't Time know. to pretend I mean, is on. Had already christened Arcade Fire has more as evidence. the second I'm still coming going. Point, so. This case is not settled. Time to pretend is on the album Oracular Spectacular, which comes out March 3rd, 2008. So by the time you get to Saltburn, it's like summer 2007. We can agree on that. It's a you know, fall after 2006. Time to pretend comes out a year after that, but it's not diegetic music. So fine. What is diegetic okay. is Flow Ride is Low, aka Apple Bottom Jeans, which is sung in a karaoke scene at a party in Saltburn in the summer of 2007. Awesome. That song was released in November of 2007. You, let me throw, throw something out here. These guys are very rich. As we learned from uh, Devil Wears Prada, if you're rich no. and you have a lot of power, you can you get can an entire book get, that has never been. You can get a Harry Potter book. You can get a random Flowrider song you flow on your karaoke machine that you don't know exists. That's how rich they are. Can what you does get it make a sense? screener it makes, of Superbad? Okay, actually recorded it just to, for their karaoke machine. Then we're getting machine. to Superbad. Can, can which, you get a screener of Superbad? Probably if before you are, it opens. I think we're not quite in yeah, August Superbad yet. Superbad comes out in August 2007. They know a guy. The broader thing about this is this is a millennial period piece, and she's talked a lot about how it's like, oh, we said it in the recent past, so everything looks uncool. I find that very interesting. But like, you can't show me this movie and not expect me to know exactly where I was yeah. when No Cars Go was on the radio. Like, I remember this time <laughs> period very well. I know when Superbad came out without having to look it well, up. Clearly, so you the idea drink of them, enough champagne. The idea of them watching it at home. I know that they're rich, but they're not. They're rich British people who don't work. They don't have Hollywood connections to get a screener of Superbad in August 2007. I mean, they're also, I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't really care. I don't really care who you are, you know, within reason. You are not getting an unwatermarked screener yeah. of Superbad. Thank you. How are they streaming from indie.tv? What if you could add a watermark? They just said Saltburn. Because, like, at another point, they all watched The Ring, which makes perfect sense. That is absolutely yeah. a movie they would have watched. So they could have been watching. Anchorman. They could have been watching Forty Year Old Version. There's so many other movies but, they could have been watching. I mean, I think but in terms they of the chose the one from exactly and, that moment and sh- making the mistake that it wouldn't break the brains of everyone her age who was to alive watch this in movie. 2007. Um, yeah, well, right. I think that like right. it, it does sort of speak to the idea that the movie is better suited for. I, I hesitate to say made for, but it, it may work better for the kind of teens who are ingesting it via TikTok. Um, who don't have that exact frame of reference and have never seen Teorema or The Talented Mr. Ripley and are posting things like, did you know that Gwyneth Paltrow and Ben Affleck dated? (laughs) 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 Um, So Uh, I I think, you know. uh, 
it's such an unforced error. It didn't have to be that way. There's so much other garbage pop culture that would have made sense that you could have pulled in. And I'm so and mad this, about uh, it. Did this affect you, your view? Yes. Oh my! I spent the entire time. <laughs> well, because first of all, I thought it was set in 2002, so like it just took me yeah. a while to get past that. Uh, and I just spent the whole time being like, I know where I lived in New York when this song came out, and this isn't it. It, it didn't add up. No one ever has a good answer for me about licking this. Licking cum off the floor, and Katie's like, off the this bathtub. Thank you very much. The bathtub. <laughs> off the bathtub. I mean. The, the the part that uh, made me sort of stop being like, oh, that's weird, and actually start laughing at the sexuality is since I gonged before Katie talked about the entire soundtrack. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, wait, no, no, that's fine. Um, uh, but that just means we could talk about further parts of the movie now. Uh, fuck, fucking the grave? Oh, yeah, some grave fucking. The grave. That's something people do, right? That's, I mean, that's normal. If you need to orgasm, you don't, like, you don't, thrust into a mound Cold of dirt. dirt. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, isn't it raining? I guess also? this is my question yeah. <laughs> for people who have seen the movie now that you're listening to the sports section or you don't fucking care. Like, what is his relationship to Jacob Elordi? Like, what what the fuck is the movie about? Oh, the relationship like, I mean, to Jacob Elordi seems pretty clear. Like, he wants to He's both be him and fuck him. Like, that's, you no, know, but that's I mean, I don't think that it, I think the movie works better if you agree to its terms of not putting psychological definitions or, or motivations sure. rather onto his character. So if you're just like, listen, he, this guy wants what he can't have. Let He's going to keep wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting. Uh, and Emerald Fennell is just going to find visually interesting ways, if not, you know, juvenile ones of expressing that desire um, until he finally, like, no face and spirited away, like eats everything. <laughs> and then he's got nothing <laughs> left to do, but dance naked through this empty house. And, uh, and then, you know, after it cuts to black, probably get bored that there's nothing else that he can eat, you know? And, and but I guess devour. I just don't know if I believe he's so torn up that he fucks the grave. Yeah, is I mean, he, I is think... Is he emotionally attached to... Yeah. His prey? Well, no, like, I mean, I think that I, I agree with both of your sentiments. That, like, I agree with Katie's like, yeah, why not? And also Patches, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, yeah. And that is at the crux of what's so annoying about this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's, like... It's right, uh, right. You know, this is why. I mean, yeah. uh, to compare it to a much better movie, like you're asking the question of like why Tom Ripley both wants to sleep with Dickie and then kills him with an oar. Like it's their their well, linked impulses. Yeah, those are yeah, exactly. And it's the those same are, thing yeah, in Salt yeah. It's just depicted poorly. Right. But he I, wants. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. Go on, Dave. I, I I like I like I like well told told stories about like fucking sociopaths weaving their way through upper classes i like I, I dig that type of story and when i realized that's what this was half the movie was over i think that's a problem <laughs> like I, I i and then like i also didn't get any clarity in the the big monologue because we skip over a whole bunch of stuff i don't i don't know i i, I see say, i thought the of... scene where we we meet his parents oliver yeah Kitt's parents was quite affecting in a way that almost nothing else in the movie was. But it's, I mean, yeah. it's such a... Like, oh, the, oh. Sh- the, the, it's crumbling and like, oh, and seeing his mundane house and his but regular it's so, middle class it's life. Just another, like, it's just another funny. bit of, of poorly motivated you know, psychology. It's like, okay, oh, actually, he isn't this social striver. He is just a sociopath who uh, wants these things that he can't have. I mean, with sexuality, who knows, the movie muddies that you know, time again. It tries to do the Tom Ripley thing of marrying it to 
his desire to sort of devour all these lives that aren't his, but doesn't do a successful job because she doesn't plumb her characters anywhere nearly deep enough. But now it's just like another easy distillation of what could be going on with him. Like, oh, okay, he's like, he comes from this family and he was all pretending in his performance and it's just he's driven by his own emptiness. It's sort of like reaffirming the vacuum of ooh, the soul of this character, uh, but not in a way that is interesting. I found that every additional thing that we learn concretely about that character made me so much less invested in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, when it gets to the end and he's like, so did you know that I planned all of these terrible things mm. that happened? You're like, yeah, I've yeah, been like, <laughs> why would you feel like I need to have that explained to me? It's, it's the ending on that note where you're like, oh, that's what you think of me watching this whole movie is incredibly annoying. And that's an interesting point. Yeah. I do think that I think a lot of Emerald Fennell's problems might be solved if she had a little bit more faith in the audience, just full stop. Um, less mm. was less interested in baiting them and goading them into a certain reaction. Um, was more trusting that they would be able to piece certain things together. Um, and maybe that would spur her to leave a more interesting or nuanced puzzle for them to solve. Um, but I, I do think that the needing to to connect all the dots at the end is very very indicative of a movie that just does not have anywhere near the level of psychological intricacy it needs to sustain its its vibe its intrigue it's it's everything i do like after explaining that he has concocted this entire plan down to you know poking a hole in jacob Elordi's bike tire and he'll meet him in the road and it will all orchestrate from there he just like yanks rosamund pike's uh Okay, just out of so that throat you can watch the, uh, like, the don't you think they'll know you did that <laughs> is that how do you pass that off as an accident uh, okay whatever you're dancing naked and the, the movie's over stop yeah i didn't think about that whatever. i mean there's a world where we accelerate through the beginning and then he has to like you know uh the graduate rosamund pike that i would have been interested in seeing uh but that's not what the movie ends up doing I mean, that again, very funny that she claims that common people was written about her. I mean, there's like, oh, there are fun details. Rosamund Pike <laughs> is, is so funny in this she's movie. Having a, she's having a great time. You yeah. know, but you Good know what I also, I didn't, Richard E. Grant, I actually, and he's a wonderful actor and I love seeing him on screen, did not buy his character for a minute. Uh, and I found oh, really? like crushingly inauthentic after Jacob Lordy's death. He doesn't have that much to yeah, do. Yeah, but it's what after Jacob Lordy's death and he's so shaken and shouting and um, haunted by, go I mean, it, it just felt it just felt shipped in from another film altogether. I just found it completely false. Well, he got the like crazy dad part and then he has to be real at some yeah, point. It's and just, like, that it's switch like, it's a just gear like shift that has no set. I don't think she gives him enough material to make that transition. They literally <laughs> draw the red curtains over the room, yeah. David. <laughs> if we can't tell from the Lord color man. difference. Then what else are we supposed uh, to do? Well, we all want original films. We got one. So, we did. We did. So and I, I still think people should see it. I stand by it. And then tell there me if you I uh, think I'm a crackpot about all the song stuff. I'm not. Yeah. I'm right. And if the sexuality is shocking to you, I can't wait for you to see poor things. <laughs> I can't wait for you to see <laughs> Trolls 3. <laughs> <laughs> that does it for this week's show. We will be back next week. I'm just going to keep shooting our shot because I, I don't know. I hope people like knowing what we're talking about. We're going to talk about May, December next week. It's on Netflix this weekend. So you can all watch it with us. And we'll talk about it. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. 
I am Matt Patches, executive editor of Polygon.com. I'm on the social media platforms at Mr. Patches and Letterboxd. Uh, we are, we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to tons of old episodes if you aren't using your podcast app, or if you want to go search through them to find exactly the one you want. I don't think we talked about Trolls 2 or Trolls 1, unfortunately, so you'll have to live with our mini-segment on Trolls 3, but we got a lot of backlog there, so fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich, I'm the film critic over at IndieWire, you can read my review of Salt Burn uh on IndieWire, um among other things you can read find me on twitter at david ehrlich and on letterboxd at david ehrlich and on instagram at david ehrlich and on blue sky at whatever the fuck a blue sky screen name is but my name's in there as part of it um dot david dot blue dot sky who knows uh more importantly you can find <laughs> all of us together on that. on itunes at fighting in the war room and you can find, read us a review, leave us a review rather, we'll read it live on the show. And you can find me at my desk wearing my Ben Affleck from Air. I'm, I can't take them out of the fucking Ooh, bag. Ooh, sunglasses. I, I got them too. Here we go. Here we go. You know, I'm, gonna wear, I'm wearing mine to record next week. Boom. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> next week I'll bring mine. This makes great audio. <laughs> Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You could find me on Twitter and Blue Sky as DA7E on threads and Instagram as Grumpy DA7E. You could find all of us uh, by emailing us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com, either with your international reviews or just with questions and comments. Um, yeah, that, that's all for me right now. Mm. How guys, about you, Katie? You, wait, sorry, Katie, to interrupt. This is, this is important. Do you think this look kind of works? The, the mean, air glasses over my regular glasses. And then the headphones and the hat. It's a, it's a lot of accessories you got going on, but you know. I'm you going just to look like, like a, you should be on a ski slope is what you I'm look going like. to some big Barbie event tomorrow night. I'm thinking of rocking <laughs> up like this. Yeah, I think, think you'll be a mistake. Greta bird, would be impressed. Yeah, I think you'll be in good yes. shape. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. I'm at Vanity Fair and Little Gold Men. I am on Twitter and Blue Sky and Letterboxd, which I'm still using more at Katie Rich. A-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on uh, Twitter and Blue Sky. Maybe we should get a letterbox. I don't know how, we, how we'd how use it. Uh, at F-I-T-W-R, where you can um, tell me if I should start using threads, or you can answer this week's lightning round no. question, which was... In honor of John Woo's return to action cinema with Silent Night, what director who released a film in 2003 is due for another film? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Hold on.